Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And you're going to want to keep an eye out because our long-promised and awaited brake shootout is going to be dropping next week. It's a good one, and I think a lot of you are going to find a whole lot of interest in there. So stay tuned for that coming very, very soon. All right, so this week, my guest is the one and only Jeff Kabush, who has not only had just about as long a career as a professional racer can, but he's done an incredible amount and achieved a whole lot of really impressive stuff over the course of it. And so I sat down with Jeff to talk about everything that he's been doing over the years and how he has stayed engaged and just kept having fun racing bikes for going on three decades now. So it's a really interesting chat, and we get into it about the changes to the racing landscape over those years, how social media and the pandemic have really shaken up the professional bike racing landscape, and a whole lot more. We also chat a bit about skiing, Jeff's favorite events, and a bunch more interesting stuff, and it's really quite a fun conversation, so I think you're really going to enjoy it. And before we get into that, though, I do want to take just a moment to encourage you to check out our upcoming Blister Summit, which is going to be this February 12th to 16th in our hometown of Crested Butte, Colorado. It's going to be a incredible few days of skiing and snowboarding with an immense list of demos available from an incredible list of brands that frankly is too long for me to rattle off here. So you should check out the show notes and come join us. I'll be there. Rest of the Blister crew will be there. Come ski or ride with us. It's going to be a blast. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Jeff Kabush. Well, Jeff, great to sit down and chat with you. How are you today and where are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Um, down in, in NorCal at the moment and yeah, we've been having some weather here, but it's made for pretty spectacular winter. So been kind of bouncing between some bike riding in the bay which has been a bit wet but pretty special winter up in the sierras and yeah man just trying to take advantage of that because i don't know in five years if we're going to be talking about uh remember when we were skiing but uh yeah mixing it up in the winter which always is nice keep the motivation for the riding in the summer yeah that's kind of one of the many things i had on my list to talk about here is just the ways of keeping things varied and Mixing some skiing in the winter is a pretty good way to do that. So glad to hear you've been getting after it down there. And um, yeah, certainly seems like there's been a whole lot going on snow-wise. So uh, And obviously some pretty crazy storms going with that. And glad it's working out. Can't complain. Can't complain about a bit of rain because California sure needs it. That's also very true. Yeah. Perhaps a little bit too much all at once. And evening it out a little bit more might be slightly more ideal. But for sure take what we can get i guess yeah and in a lot of ways this conversation kind of sprouted out of one that we had with andrew gardner from Bellaccio a little while back and we were talking about kind of gravel riding a bit and the ways that he's just done a lot of different stuff on the bike and kind of one thing that came out of that was we talked a lot about how a lot of mountain bikers and people who ride bikes in general just tend to sort of silo themselves off into a specific niche of riding that they're into and maybe don't think too much or don't pay a lot of attention to 
all of the other things that are going on in the bike world and view themselves as someone who rides, you know, I'm an enduro rider or whatever it might be. And I think you have done similarly a pretty interesting job of over the course of your career, doing a lot of different stuff on the bike and exploring a lot of different facets and figured you'd kind of be a good follow on conversation to that. So let's kind of start from the beginning though. I mean, what, got you into mountain bikes in the first place. And I saw a little something on your Yeti bio about it involving a 10 speed in the UK, but take us (laughs) through that story. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, definitely just within cycling, but as a kid, I did almost every sport growing up and yeah, I mean, obviously growing up on Vancouver Island, grew up uh, in the Comox Valley, kind of halfway up Cumberland's really well known for the riding there. That's kind of where I started out, but it, uh, I mean, I was big track and field basketball, and uh yeah the 10 speed story comes from my parents were both elementary teachers and when i was eighth eighth grade we did a a year in england parents did a teacher's exchange and uh one of my buddies over there had a a mountain bike and i just had my 10 speed and we i I just thought i mean i've always thought you know the bikes and the equipment were kind of what drew me to it and thought it was really cool i mean i rode my 10 speed out to the hills and flatted and tried to make it make it home stuff and leaves into the tires and yeah when i when i came back uh ninth grade i i got my first mountain bike and started riding in the valley and uh yeah played played the rest uh kind of high school sports through high school but uh really kind of fell in love with it uh back in bc and on a small island where we have a family cabin hornby island's a pretty special place and Started riding there the summers and started racing as a, as a junior. And, um, yeah, after high school, it became my kind of primary focus. And, uh, yeah, still riding here in my mid-40s, so having a lot of fun. Yeah, and, I mean, we'll kind of get to this, but I would imagine that the variety of stuff you've done and not just siloing yourself into one little niche probably goes a long way towards keeping things fresh and keeping it enjoyable after you know some decades i feel like yeah there's a lot of kind of tribalism in cycling but man i've just i mean i've traveled a lot and just really enjoy riding different kinds of bikes is in different kinds of places um you know a couple of my good buddies were kind of road racers when i was younger so did did a bit of road but obviously in bc it's like for me it's my favorite place in the world to ride so when i'm up there i do a lot of mountain biking but when i'm down here in california kind of Marin, uh, the Bay Area, it's like unreal road riding. And um, so do a lot of road riding here. But yeah, during my career, I mean, I, I started out as an endurance kind of mountain bike specific, but obviously the training on the road was, was great and loved that. And um, I mean, always just thing I really love about cycling is you're always learning something new. So it's fun to take those learnings from different different disciplines uh, i mean yeah done a bit of enduro a bit of gravel um growing up in bc the technical part of of mountain biking was all my always my strength so it made it easier to cross over but yeah now it's like uh, my kind of motto is keep riding till the fun stops and doing all these different disciplines within cycling as well as mixing it up like in the winter doing winter sports really keeps things fresh and uh exciting so it's part i really like and yeah, being kind of a bit of a product guy now, it really has helped me in my career kind of 
crossing over disciplines and, you know, getting a feel for equipment and feedback from disciplines across cycling and be able to carry that over into some of the, the product development kind of perspective. That certainly makes sense to having that breadth of background, just kind of easy to imagine how that would help you inform some of the product development stuff. But kind of want to talk about some of the earlier bits of your career a little bit first. I mean, you've been quite massively accomplished on a lot of different fronts, three time Olympians, couple top 10 finishes there, bunch of World Cup podiums on the XC side of things, fourth overall in the 2009 season, so on and so forth. Uh, but would be interesting to hear a little bit about some of the ways in which you watched the mountain bike racing scene evolve over those years, because if I have it right, your first kind of big breakout was winning junior world champs in 1995. And well, <laughs> I didn't, I wouldn't say I, well, didn't win win mountain bike world champs. I got to go there, and uh, I out sprinted. I think a couple guys for 99th in the XC, and uh, also raced the downhill there. Crashed three times, and I think finished 66 or something. But I mean, that kind of really hooked me on my love of the sport. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think like during my this was like in the mid 90s. My junior world champs was 95, and uh, you know, I was I started going to school there and, um, throughout my development, I was kind of focused on trying to figure out how to finish a mechanical engineering degree and just the whole process. Um, and yeah, it took me a while to where I could focus on the sport, um, developing in, in Victoria. And I think the thing back then, it was just like a really simple process. We're talking like before the internet and social media. And, um, then it was like a really simple ladder, ladder to climb i mean you just worked on your your sport and developed as an athlete and is i mean it wasn't um straightforward but it was easy to see the athletes in front of you and what you needed to do and yeah man i really feel for the athletes it's been a big topic of discussion now how complicated it is to get to where i am and how to yeah um develop in the sport so i mean i was just focused on my performance and had some really good mentors on the um, kind of training sports physiology side. And um, I mean, it still, I think uh, still took a long time to get to the top level of the sport. A lot of people feel like you can work really hard and have success in a year or two. And maybe if you're really talented, but like I said, uh, I mean, I just had to work on that process and it wasn't until, you know, 2000 kind of had a breakout year internationally um, and went to the Olympics after working really hard for five years where I was able to actually finally make a career of it. Okay. And well, the thing that you just touched on with kind of social media and the changes in how sponsorships are working and what sponsors are looking for in athletes, I think is a really interesting one. And the op-ed you wrote a little while back about the lifetime grand prix and their application process and how for, despite being a race event, the, focus was at least in significant part on social media reach and that aspect of things. And we've talked to a bunch of folks on here that have kind of spoken about that being a bit of a double-edged sword in some ways in that your side of it, which I think makes a ton of good sense, was that as a racer, you now have these extra responsibilities of also doing social media stuff and kind of a thing that distracts from being able to just focus on being 
a racer first and foremost. But the flip side of it that some people have spoken about in a more positive light also is that a lot of folks like Casey Brown was someone who brought this up was that she wanted to be a professional mountain biker, but was more interested in the free ride side of things rather than being a racer and has felt like the rise of social media and being able to market oneself outside of race events has made following that path easier. Whereas she felt like she had to start out being a racer to get herself noticed because that was the avenue that existed when she was coming up and then subsequently was able to branch out into doing more free ride once she had already made a name for herself and established herself on the race scene. And so I think it does make sense that it would open some new avenues for people who aren't interested in focusing on racing necessarily, but probably distracts from the folks who would rather be more race focused. And so I guess tell us your perspective on that a little bit and kind of how that has changed over the course of your career. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Back in the day, it was really simple. It was, there's like an XE racer or a downhill racer and um, it was a singular path. And yeah, I think, I mean, the industry as a whole is really splintered into all these different avenues for athletes. And I mean, social media is another one. And yeah, it's opened up great opportunity for people to get noticed and find a place in the industry. And uh, I think it's just been challenging for young athletes to to navigate that. I guess, like like Casey said, she established herself as a, a racer and um, yeah, it's a real challenge talking to young athletes, how they get to that point, like where Casey is, where she has a name and built a brand. And I mean, it's a broader question of society, the social media and the, and the mental aspects. And that was one part that concerned me for sure, the, the pressure. And I think, especially during these last couple of pandemic years, everything kind of moved online and the pressures really increased and a lot of contracts focused much more on social media deliverables. And I'm just hoping we're going to see a bit of the, the pendulum swing back. I mean, it's, um, I mean, just as a fan of the sport, I see the commercialization on, on Instagram or whatever. And it uh, definitely can turn me off a bit from like following athletes that I really enjoy. Um, following when I see the the excess commercialization and it's obviously it's obviously our job and part of the sport and people that are good at these uh, new media opportunities are gonna succeed and get paid but um, for me in that op-ed it was a lot about the athletes that want to focus on their sport goals it's become really challenging to for them to find their path and not necessarily saying that athletes who just the personality isn't cut out for the marketing that they shouldn't get paid for just being an athlete, but I want to, or my hope is that there's still a pathway for them to chase those sporting goals and not be excluded from, from entry, which was definitely a bit of my, my challenge with the, the application process for lifetime. And they've, they've made some changes and listening to some feedback. Uh, but my hope, I guess with, with that, op-ed was for the younger athletes to be aware of what was going on and the process and the application and and speak up for themselves and other athletes that were being excluded because that was the hardest part Uh, got into a lot of discussions with young athletes that were you know 
feeling really down because the the pressures of social media and whether being excluded from selection for some teams or the pressures uh, and yeah, so like I said, some people are really thrive in that that uh, place online and but yeah, some people just really struggle with it and hopefully there's there's room for for all those gun athletes. But that's a big question. Yeah, how do you establish credibility um, in that that space and yeah, influencers? That's a big can of worms. Certainly, and yeah, like you said, I mean, I think we just hope that there we can find a way that there's space for people to be professionals in a lot of different ways and kind of have different paths to follow there rather than having it be this one prescriptive thing where like this is the path. And I mean, do you have any thoughts on kind of how the industry as a whole could better facilitate that or what you would like to see change in order to make there just be a greater diversity of ways to go about having a career as a biker? I mean, for me, the what I worked on a bit last year was talking to some of the marketing departments. And I don't, like I said, I think it's great. There's opportunities, but I think, I mean, a big part for me was the mental health and, and talking to some of the, the marketing departments, trying to de-emphasize how important, because a lot of young athletes get the impression that it's every, online is everything. And like, it's kind of been skewed out of proportion how, important that is and tried to like yeah swing the pendulum back to the importance of just building relationships and I mean yeah like like I said to start my career we had nothing online but somehow we were still marketing things and I think a lot of those personal impressions and stuff we do in real life is still really important and obviously I mean it's it's great like on social media I'm still able to make those personal connections and answer a lot of you know, tech questions and product and recommendations. But yeah, I just felt like things had swung a little bit out of proportion. So I think um, communicating that to young athletes, the importance that it's obviously part of the job, but I think, like I said, especially in the pandemic here, it's got skewed that social was everything in comparison. And it was definitely detrimental to a lot of young athletes, the, the pressure. And I mean, even as a mature athlete, I feel that pressure and, I guess just part of my personality is not something like I enjoy being a a salesman and it's super easy when I can, you know, cliche, be authentic and talk about product and going to try to be as honest as I can there. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a challenge these days. Yeah. And I think the note about the pandemic really accelerating a lot of that is a good one. Yeah. I mean, you could see it reflected even a lot of athlete contracts, like what percentage was dedicated to social metrics. And I mean, there's like social media metric ratings and man, that's like the last thing I want to do is be, be chasing uh, rankings with other athletes on social media interaction. And um, yeah, I definitely had some good discussion to hopefully try to pull that back. Right. I mean, on, on one hand, you can understand how mid-pandemic when events weren't happening, kind of what else is there to do on, at some level. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, would certainly like to see a, a, a swing back the other way now that we're back to racing and back to having stuff going on. And there are other things to be doing other than sitting around on the internet. So Yeah. I mean, I think a big thing too is like 
just a lot of the media story got the responsibility got shifted to the athletes, which has been hard. I mean, I think like in my earlier in my career, there's journalists who told the stories or the marketing departments at, at companies would help tell the story or video. And now it's like, man, like the athletes really have a lot of pressure to do everything. They got to be there. Yeah. Be an athlete, marketing, uh, video production. Yeah. Podcasting. And like, there's man, the responsibilities have really increased and um the athletes are that are good at it uh are obviously making good money and there's opportunities and that's great. Yeah, but it's man, it's a lot a lot more complicated for sure as an athlete these days. Well, and I guess sort of along those lines, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about kind of the switch that you made a few years back to moving away from racing on a factory world cup team and kind of doing your own program where you're sticking around North America more and doing a bigger spectrum of events. I mean, what was it like making that jump from having the bigger team support to suddenly, I mean, you've obviously still got sponsors and have a different form of support, but running your own program to a much greater extent and kind of how'd that go and what was the impetus for making that change over? Yeah, I mean, early in my career, I really did think it would be possible because, like I said, there was pretty simple path. So I kind of thought early in my career, like, how much longer can I go, like, in the quadrennials with Olympics? Can I keep going to 2012, 2016? And, I mean, it's just, I think a lot of it was right time, right place. I mean, I was always interested in, you know, doing a lot of different things, like we talked about enduro and I think I first did Trans-Provence, the, the major one over in Europe in 2012, 2013, just because I was always looking for those opportunities and, um, yeah, just timeline, I guess, a bit with the, the equipment and the bikes that kind of these endurance events came back in North America that were, were popular and kind of almost suited my, my strengths a bit. Um, when I started, XC races were two and a half hours. I mean, I finished junior worlds in three hours, but yeah, I think I've just been following what I love to do. And, um, yeah, in 2016, I kind of been chasing the world cup and kind of banging my head against the wall and opportunity came to, to branch out. And I think luckily, um, you know, it's a lot more responsibility from building relationships, but I mean, I enjoy, and I think a lot of companies, enjoy having a direct communication with athletes and building that relationship. And it's certainly a never ending to do list, but I also, yeah, enjoy the product side. So, which enjoy working on my bikes. And I think that makes athletes more valuable when you understand the equipment and can speak with direct knowledge of what's going on in your bike and equipment. Uh, but yeah, since 2017, I've been kind of putting together my own program and it's, um, yeah, you miss certain areas of support having a full-time mechanic and swan year like I did at some points during my career, but it's um it's also yeah, really rewarding to build those relationships and yeah, like I said I enjoy the product side, so I've enjoyed working on the bikes and kind of been just chasing yeah, like I said keep riding on the fun stops, so I've been kind of chasing stuff like mentioned yeah, did uh, Transcascadia back in the day together. So really enjoy that format and then just been 
yeah, fall on my nose and along with a bit of product development, doing a bit of gravel and um, just, I mean, yeah, it's kind of stupid stuff on the gravel bike riding. I call it underbiking, riding single track, and it's just stuff that puts a smile on my face and, um, yeah, kind of navigating my way and never, never really thought it'd be possible. I'm 45 now and still enjoying a career in the bike industry and, but yeah, it's, uh, keep riding other fun stops and got another, another year in my contracts and we'll, we'll figure, figure it out. Kind of, kind of gave up trying to figure out what was next and just trying to enjoy where I'm at right now. If you're still having fun, keep doing it. And with this new approach of kind of doing a bigger spectrum of events and dabbling in a whole range of different disciplines, how are you kind of planning out your years now and deciding what events you want to show up for, what you want to do, what does that process look like? Or is it less planned on a year by year basis than that? And a little more just ad hoc. I mean, yeah, it's, I'm really lucky the, like a lot of my sponsors leave the, they trust me a lot to make those decisions. And I think part of my schedule is, you know, events I enjoy or motivate to do. It's always fun to find a few new events, but I mean, also want to do events or choose events that I can be successful at. So um, for me, yeah, growing up in BC, the, the technical aspect was always my strength. So this year I'm focusing on quite a few kind of technical endurance events. And for sure that also like lines up with the new Yeti SB120 they launched. I want to be able to ride that bike where I can highlight highlight the capabilities of like the product or like, yeah, as riding the, the Fox came out with the, the gravel AX fork. So I was doing some, not just races, but some, some projects as well that can kind of highlight that stuff. And so, I mean, I'm taking that into account because I mean, that is my job to try to the market stuff and highlight stuff. So it's a bit of a balance of events that I'm excited to do. Cause at this point I don't want to do any events that I'm not excited to do. And that's like, I've chosen these technical endurance events like bc bike race or downeyville and i'm just i just like the lifetime series i didn't apply this year because i didn't think i'd get accepted anyway but it's just like those long gravel races just aren't what motivated me even though it's you know popular within the industry i want to i want to ride my mountain bike so i'm going to focus on those events that are that are fun and and motivating at, at this point in my career right on Somewhat along those lines, I mean, what would you put on your kind of short list of favorite events that you've done over the years? And what are you looking for in an event to show up for these days? I mean, you've kind of mentioned the more technical mountain biking side of things, generally speaking, but what makes for something good? I mean, definitely the, I mean, I used to think it was crazy riding a, a new trail as fast as you can without ever seeing it, but I think I, I really I don't get to do many of them, but the the blind enduro races, like you mentioned, Trans Cascadia, just the format. Um, I mean, you don't have to show up and practice. Everyone just shows up. You're in the bubble, all on the same page, and just riding new trails. And I think part of the like Trans Cascadia was is in the northwest, which is just my favorite area to ride up in BC, and that's why I also like love BC bike race. Just a lot of my career, I was you know, traveling the world. So I didn't get a chance to ride in my own province as much. So yeah, like this year, really excited to go back to 
BC bike races on Vancouver Island. Um, did Stone King Rally, which was new Trans-Provence over in Europe last year, which was tough event. And looking at a few, trying to fit in another blind enduro in, in the fall this year, usually try to do one or two of those. But yeah, there, other than that, it's like I really enjoy events like Downeyville or Moab Rocks uh, Endurance one out there, which is just like a diabolical kind of equipment setup where you have to like, yeah, feather that, figure out, you know, a light bike that functions and put together uh, a bike that works for that. And I love that kind of challenge. And then, um, yeah, on the side, just always looking for, for fun projects to do and, and destinations. Like I'd like to go back to the Moab in the fall. I've never actually ridden like the whole enchilada. And so I feel like it'd be fun to take a rip at that on the, on the new little bike from Yeti. Um, just to get a chance to do it seems like such a small window though with the snow up at 11,000 feet there so I've actually been out there early October and got snowed out so kind of on my list to do some fun little projects like that and then just tick off some yeah fun challenging or events with with good atmosphere I like that certainly similarly have really enjoyed the handful of blind and neuro events I've done over the years. That's just a, a fun format and planning on doing trans BC this year. So got that on the list and looking forward to it. So those are a good time along the underbiking aspect of things that you were talking about earlier and kind of having some fun taking a gravel bike a bit further afield than they are perhaps intended for. I mean, Take us through the draw of that and some of the specific kind of, I mean, maybe not events, but just what's been drawing you into that and what have you been getting up to? Yeah, I mean, it was mostly just, I mean, now it's just putting a smile on my face. But originally, you know, Fox told me they're coming out with this new gravel fork and I was actually like kind of skeptical because I'd been riding a gravel bike and... um uh kind of discovered well Kushcore came out with gravel inserts which took gravel bikes kind of new level what you could do but you could also put you know fatter tires on and I mean like a lot of the comments you thought I thought like oh this is dumb idea gravel fork um we're just going back to 90s mountain bike but you know I'm always willing to test things out and uh got one of the rad prototype forks and put it on and man immediately like yeah it was pretty dramatic difference just riding here in the bay area uh, where i train a bit in the off season there's a lot of baked out kind of uh really cool rides you can do but a lot of kind of baked out clay that gets really bumpy and man just like you could do these rides and not be beat up and so i just started enjoying seeing how far i could push that and uh yeah i mean it was one of the projects uh went out to Moab actually and like everyone was doing this kind of white rim F FKT fastest known time fastest known time which became pretty popular in COVID and I was like everyone was doing the the white rim on a mountain bike and I was like well can you do it on a gravel and everyone's like yeah I don't know and so I had this well opportunity to to do it with the on the gravel bike which was pretty fun I kind of ran out of water in the last uh hour and kind of crawled in after being on pace but then I was like same thing with Cocapelli trail I was like man everyone's doing on the on the mountain bike but I was like man that'd be fun to try it on the gravel bike and it actually came within 
two or three minutes of Stetna. He did it on his uh, mountain bike with aero bars. But I guess, yeah, just having fun, kind of seeing what you could do on that bike. And now, like, uh, it was kind of half joke, half serious up on Hornby Island or have the family cabin. It's, like, really smooth, super fun kind of XC single track. And, man, I mountain bike there all the years. But now it's like, man, take this capable gravel bike and it's just puts a yeah mostly just stuff that puts a huge smile on my face it's just kind of takes me back to the old days just riding on the edge and that's what I like yeah man I feel like it's nice to feel kind of the limits of your bike and that's where I have these like super capable bikes like been riding the Yeti SB150 but like um down in California where the trails are more mellow it just makes everything boring so it's kind of like even on the mountain bike or the gravel bike it's nice to have a bike that you know puts you on the limit and yeah these new gravel bikes it's it's the routes that I can put together now are super fun because you can like around Lake Tahoe I can commute on some fire roads a bit of pavement and then ride the rim trail which is you know just fun time kind of the the routes and obviously getting off the road a bit is super nice as the in uh busy traffic areas you can head head off road for a wrong long ride and hardly see any traffic so that definitely yeah really enjoyed adding that add to the mix and yeah it depends on where i am when i'm up in bc i don't don't ride the gravel bike much just because the mountain biking's just incredible and it's a bit bit steeper up there up and down but in the right place it can be super super fun so and that's what i enjoy there's been a lot of development on the gravel bike with tires and suspension so it's been fun to be a bit of part of that as well you know and after mentioning white rim and cocopelli there any other routes that you're scheming up for trying to do some mountain biking on a gravel bike with or maybe i'm maybe you don't have anything to tip your hand on here but just curious if you've got anything and you're kicking around the back of your head not too many, but like it's like I always like a lot of the mountain bike races aren't that technical, so I'm always like trying to think about if I could do the mountain bike race on my gravel bike and uh Sea Otter Classic is one of those that might might use a gravel bike instead of the, the mountain bike for that one. But yeah, not uh I think I enjoy riding the gravel bike more than than racing it and uh, yeah, especially like in uh up in Truckee Tahoe the Lost Sierra, there's just endless roads and so definitely thinking about some some routes I could do. I don't know about uh FKTs anymore. Uh but wouldn't mind going back now that uh the bikes have evolved even more, trying trying the white rim again. But we'll see. Okay, fair enough. And I mean you kinda made the joke a minute ago about going back to turning gravel bikes into nineties mountain bikes, but I am sort of curious to hear, like, you also mentioned a bit about how XC races had have changed a ton. And, you know, in your earlier career, they were a whole lot longer than they have become now. And um, is there stuff that on the XC side of things where you feel like you'd like to see some kind of shifts back to something different or what feels like it changed the most about the XC racing scene over the course of your time in it and uh what all's different these days yeah i mean it's almost um like i said it's almost half in dif- distance so the 
really the physiology of an XC race has really, really changed. I mean, my strength was always my pacing, knowing myself and like, I would make the most ground up or pass most people in the last 45 minutes of race. It doesn't even exist now. So it was a challenge for me. Um, as races got shorter, but for, for good reasons and spectator reasons, the loops got shorter and steeper. And for some reason, I'd like to make the, the climbs as, as steep as possible. And as a, as a bigger guy in the XC discipline, uh, struggled with the, the punchiness of the, the modern XC, but also because they become, became much more compact, they didn't reach as many of the natural trails. And I think that's what I struggled with. You see a lot of features on some courses, but they're, the features are more or less pass or fail. And the courses just don't deteriorate as much because they're, you know, much more manufactured trails. And so I think that's what I struggled with was the, the subtle technical challenge of, of natural mountain bike trails that degraded a bit in weather. And you just don't see that as often. There's still some, some good world cup courses, but there's also some manufactured courses and that's where, I mean, won't get into too much of that, the dark days of the sport, but I was able to have success 20 years ago on really technical courses and overcome some of the, the hurdles of, uh, the doping in the sport. But like, yeah, the one world cup I won, uh, the sport was cleaned up, but it was just torrential thunderstorms in, in, uh, in Bromont, Canada, the, the race I won. And I had a lot of success in Mont Saint Anne as well, but those were like, yeah, really technical courses where I could, yeah, use my, my, my strengths as an athlete and still have some success. And I think the biggest challenge for athletes these days, the longer races, the start position wasn't so important. And that's what I ran to the end of my career with these short punchy races man if you're not on the first couple rows you're rolling the dice and even if you're have a great day i mean it doesn't matter if you're starting fifth or sixth row it's like you got to put in the time to work your way up the ranking until you have a chance at the at success of the world cups and i the biggest thing i wish man they have short tracks now which i mean i was I wish we had short track world cups when, when I was at the top level. Cause yeah, that would have really suited me and, uh, the technical tactical aspect, which I really loved, uh, in North America, the, we had a lot of short tracks at the Norba and MBS where I had a lot of success and I would have loved to have a chance, uh, to race those at the international level. Yeah. Those do look like fun as a, I guess, lapsed XC racer once upon a time ago myself, uh, never really never really got to do any short track stuff either but uh those do look like a good time you talked a bit about kind of enjoying a swing into doing more product development and would be curious to hear more about that what kind of projects have been working on and what do you find to be the most interesting and fulfilling stuff that you're doing on that front yeah like i said i mean i've always kind of thought from that kind of perspective and be willing to try new things like early in my career I think just projects of my, my environment I was well known for kind of adopting riser bars on the XC side just because I rode with those in the winter and for a long time as I wouldn't say mocked but made fun of for my my wide bars but I could kind of had that feel and you know for sure early adopter of of disc brakes and kind of the 
through axle for the the fox fork uh you'll see my little signature on those but um i think yeah like i said doing the different disciplines has given me a feel for equipment and yeah just perspective on how beneficial certain things are so yeah it's definitely been fun working with with fox on the that gravel fork and kind of seeing that come to market and but a big thing i do like maxis has been my longtime sponsor i've been working with them since 2004 so i do a lot of testing with them which can be definitely uh, engineers giving me some some challenges at times but um yeah i think that's uh one of the skills i have is to pick up those yeah fine fine uh, differences and and uh, the performance of the tire sometimes i got to change test the same tread with the same durometer with just slightly different construction and that's that can be a difficult but fun challenge trying to tease out some of the, the differences but yeah a lot it's fun um testing some of those products and feeling confident in the feedback i'm i'm working on whether it's yeah gravel tires and some of the xc stuff with maxis and um i guess yeah it's like being able to be critical of some product and feel confident in that, that, that critical feedback, which I think is, is needed sometimes. And so it's, um, it's just fun. I think when you have the chance to test and work on some products and then, and see them on the, on the market several years later, it's, it can be pretty rewarding. Yeah. And you mentioned kind of having at least worked on an engineering degree as well. I mean, do you have any, particular aspirations for projects that you would like to work on at some point farther down the line kind of I mean anything that would be exciting for you to kind of delve into do you have any interest in going back to actually working as an engineer or anything like that or oh I'm too too far removed from engineering but it's definitely been valuable to for sure to finish that and just to be able to communicate or think of that way a bit but i think like kind of my dream role in the future is like most of all i just like riding my bike so i always want to be able to do that but i i really enjoy kind of the the r&d product testing so um if i can blend that uh, background as a kind of a go between between the engineers and the product development and kind of be able to ride my bike and test and give feedback that's kind of the eventual dream scenario i guess when uh if i can kind of i mean i'm always kind of adjusting evolving what i'm doing but i definitely enjoy that aspect obviously i know i'm not going to be racing or competitive forever but uh i mean i think i just i'll always enjoy being healthy and taking care of myself i think like once you know how it feels to be to healthy and feel good you always want to keep that going and so yeah um certain races i have to pick and choose where i want to have success on the race course but i'll always enjoy the the process of uh keeping fit and taking care of myself sure and i guess kind of along those lines i mean is there anything that you sort of see as being key to your longevity and the length of the career you've already been able to have thus far is i mean and i guess both maybe physically and also just mentally as far as keeping things fresh and interesting and how do you sort of just keep doing it for this many years and what's 
what's kept it fun, kept it relevant? I'd say for sure, switching things up, like I said, variety of different bikes and different disciplines. I think if I stayed in one place and rode the same bike all the time, I would, it would definitely get stale. So I'm, I'm lucky I'm kind of bouncing around in these different uh, cool places to ride different kinds of bikes. But again, I think it's definitely in life for me, it's like everything in moderation. I've never been super strict with diet or training. And I think that comes with, I guess, understanding things well. I mean, I had a a coach mentor that really taught me physiology and I went deep, deep into that, but I understood why I was doing everything so I could adjust things depending on feel. And um, I just enjoyed learning about the sport. There's so many different things to learn about, even at, uh, you know, I've been doing it for 20, 25 years now and still learning new things. And I think that's part of what keeps the sport exciting and engaging for me still pushing myself especially on these new bikes like uh, talked about pandemic I had lots of time to myself and was working on my jumping kind of you know gradually working on that progression to where I mean I didn't grow up jumping so whether it's that or learning how equipment works or yeah pushing limits on the new equipment that's like I said when I got into it I I mean I was fascinated by bikes and equipment how everything works and still am so um don't say i'm not gonna say i i love working in the garage all day but i love actually working on my own bikes and understanding how everything works on them so i can take that into account to get the most out of them and uh best best performance on the trail so i think it's just yeah i mean lifelong of still learning and bit of variety and yeah, everything in, in moderation, like uh, definitely not into dry January, but uh, just always have a little bit and never, never too strict with myself. Both the variety and just a little bit of moderation to avoid burning yourself out and keep things varied and interesting goes a long way. So here you on that. You talked a little bit about skiing and how you've been enjoying the whole bunch of snow that Tyler's been getting what's kind of your interest there and what aspects of skiing are you most into what are you finding yourself doing these days definitely uh I mean I can't remember the last time I skied at a resort but yeah I just I mean backcountry for sure is something I wish I had more time to do and uh, luckily this year um had a great season in Tahoe so far, I mean, it's can be a bit borderline, and uh, but yeah, that's some some special days in the backcountry. And typically, I've tried to fit in as as much as I can a few backcountry trips, uh, hot trips when I can over the year. And but I also enjoy the Nordic side as well. Just um, again, it's just yeah, perfecting another sport and technique. And uh, my partner was a high-level Nordic skier, so she's a great partner to ski with. And, um, again, Truckee has some fantastic resorts as well as up in Canada. It's just, man, the places you can go up in the Sea to Sky and around Tahoe up in, in the backcountry, um, that's pretty incredible to get away from the crowds. And that's just another sport kind of I enjoy learning about as as well. as, um, But for sure, it's like, 
that mental break in the winter has always been huge for me. Even in the heart of my career, I would try to spend two or three weeks off the bike skiing as much as I could around the holidays when I was at home on Vancouver Island and definitely even more of like, yeah, I've been skiing quite a bit last month and that keeps the, the motivation high for the bike. And man, it's been a while since I've been on the mountain bike and I cannot wait until the, the trails dry up around here and we can do a trip to Santa Cruz or yeah, start riding again. I'm going to head down to Arizona and, and March. So I'm pretty excited to get down there, do the cactus cup and head out to, to Moab. So yeah, just keeps the motivation and stoke high when you're kind of switching up sports and for sure skiing is something that I'm, I'm hoping to have more time to do in, in the future, especially up in BC, see this guy. And yeah, like I said, just trying to take advantage here in Tahoe cause I'm just, scared in five or ten years if we're going to look back and say remember those those days when we were skiing the west shore down to lake tahoe and uh yeah i've had some great days so far this season yeah i'm very much with you on just the variety and keeping things fresh and it's nice to have a little bit of a reset to do something else that's fun but different and uh just gets the motivation back up to get back on the bike when the time comes around so whole body health too i mean switching it up you get kind of very kind of singular focus on the bike and i mean when i was serious training i do a lot of kind of core strength in the gym kind of stuff but it's a lot funner to go nordic ski for three hours than to to go to the gym so and also yeah you come into the the bike season much more rounded as a athlete for sure Yep. So, well, Jeff, this has been fun and just appreciate you taking time to sit down and sharing some perspective on a whole lot of stuff that you've been up to. So thanks again for doing it. And here's to just keeping things fun and still enjoying what you're doing for however long you want to keep doing it. Thanks. Yeah. Enjoyed the chat. Hope there's a few nuggets of interest and info in there for people. Yeah, I'm sure they were plenty. It was a good one. So thanks again, Jeff. This is cool. Cheers. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts to help keep the show going and growing. I also want to say thanks to Jeff for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody.